Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, in today's episode, we're going to be recapping all of our NFL action from week 10 of the 2022 NFL season. And man, it started off pretty dang good as we saw the Carolina Panthers debut their new blackout uniforms, which... Personally, I think they should make that their permanent uniforms going forward. But anyway, guys, before we do start talking about all of our action from Week 10, I first want to ask y'all to please make sure to like, comment, share, rate, do whatever you can to make sure that we continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast to everybody across the country, world, wherever they may be listening, so that they can also stay up to date with anything college football or NFL related. So guys, like I always say here on the Cover 7 Podcast, I do not want to waste y'all's time, and I don't want to waste my time either, so let's get right into today's episode and kick it all off here in Week 10. We're going to travel out to Charlotte, North Carolina, as we had Marcus Mariota and the Atlanta Falcons taking on P.J. Walker in the struggling and, well, I mean, struggling and rebuilding Carolina Panthers on Thursday Night Football. Now, the story of this game was going to be the weather conditions, right? It was pouring rain. Looked like the Tsunami Bowl back in 2011. I don't know if any of y'all remember that game, but that was when Jacksonville, they came out to Charlotte and played uh, Cam Newton in his rookie year with the Panthers, and it was just absolutely flooded. And that's pretty much what this game was exactly like. I mean, it was going to be who's going to be able to run the ball way better in this game. And, well, Carolina, they just, you know, so happened to get a steal of a running back who started his career not on a good note, dealt with a lot of injuries, but has started to really gain some traction these past two years. Last year with the Tennessee Titans and now with the Carolina Panthers as Devontae Foreman, or Deontay Foreman, my bad, not Devontae, Deontay Foreman, the former Texas Longhorn running back. He's just absolutely having a career resurgence with the Carolina Panthers as tonight he would ball out 31 carries for 130 yards rushing in one touchdown and would really help P.J. Walker and this past game which just struggled all night long to get anything going as P.J. Walker as we all know literally only had nine nine passing yards in last in last week's game against the Cincinnati Bengals so Obviously, I think whether it was sunny or not sunny because it would have been a night game, whether it was completely clear, perfect weather or storming and hurricane-like, I think the game plan going forward was going to be running the football. But um, P.J. Walker, he did limit the mistakes. He almost had a game-costing interception at the end to uh, Atlanta Atlanta Falcons safety Richie uh, Grant. Luckily enough, Richie Grant would drop the interception. So P.J. Walker on the night, he would go 10 for 16, 108 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. Um, Carolina really did not get anything going passing. Obviously, Terrence Marshall Jr., I think who's in his second or third year out of LSU, he would have one reception for 43 yards receiving and would actually lead the Panthers in receiving yards on the day. But the biggest thing in this game was the fact that the Panthers' defense played absolutely fantastic, sacking Marcus Mariota for five sacks on the day and completely bullied that offensive line of the Atlanta Falcons. And since we are talking about the Atlanta Falcons, they actually did have a pretty cool story as their starting left tackle, Jake Matthews. He actually would drive down to Atlanta after the team had already traveled to Charlotte to go be with his wife as she was having their firstborn. So congratulations to them. But then he would drive back to make it for Thursday night football. So already a little bit hectic in the O-line room. And what it definitely showed in this game is, I mean, Marcus Mariota was constantly under pressure the entire game. It definitely showed the you know, the final couple drives for the Falcons on offense as Marcus Mariota on the day, you know, statistically does not look that bad, right? 19 for 30, 186 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. But if you watch this game, there was a ton of boneheaded mistakes by Marcus Mariota, including one where he was literally falling down. And luckily enough, he was ruled down by contact. But Marcus Mariota just pretty much flipped the ball to the Carolina Panther defender who would have taken it for six. If, if he was not ruled down. So anyway, just a really rough game offensively for the Atlanta Falcons as they just could not get anything going offensively. I mean, whatsoever. Cordell Patterson pretty much got shut down, was held to only 18 rushing yards on the day, and literally only had two uh, two uh, two receiving yards. I couldn't, even, I couldn't even think of the right stat. Two, uh, two receiving yards on the day. As the Carolina Panthers, they pull out the upset on Thursday Night Football over the Atlanta Falcons. 25 to 15 as weirdly enough despite being at three and seven the Panthers are still in the thick of the NFC South because the NFC South who's currently led by the by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who sit at four and six so I mean realistically the Panthers they're still potentially in the making of getting to the playoffs if they somehow miraculously just 
I mean, make it. It's kind of like, a, you know, the NFC least, you know, the NFC East last year. That's literally what the NFC South is this year. So, I mean, hey, if you're a Carolina Panther fan, all hope is not gone. But uh, for the Atlanta Falcons, they now dropped the four and six. And they really could have taken, you know, pretty good control of the NFC South with a win, especially their upcoming schedule. So, Definitely a one that I know the Falcons did not want to drop. But anyway, the Panthers, they get a 25-15 to win over the Atlanta Falcons to kick off Week 10 of the 2022 NFL season. So, guys, that would be it for Thursday. So now let's get over to Sunday slate of games. And, you know, we started at bright and early over in Germany, the first ever NFL game over in Germany, as we had Geno Smith and the pretty striving right now Seattle Seahawks taking on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, you know, Tom Brady and the Bucks they got a huge win against the Rams last week, a game that they really needed, you know, the 2021 NFC Divisional Round rematch. Now, despite the offense, you know, despite the defense for the Bucks playing really good, the offense was horrendous. Let's not forget that, out, you know, despite that final drive that Tom Brady led them down the field to get that game-winning uh, touchdown to Cade Orton, they they played horrendous. I mean, rushing wise, they they got nothing going. Leonard Fournette was not able to get anything going. Same with Rashad White, who they're starting to rely on a little bit more, who was a uh, mid round pick out of Arizona State. So if they're not able to get anything going offensively, this might be an absolute bloodbath. And on the flip side for Geno Smith and Seattle Seahawks, you know they're striving right now. They're currently in first place in the NFC West. I mean, they really have been kind of the more shocking team so far this year because we thought when Russell Wilson got traded to the Denver Broncos, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, they were supposed to be these this rebuilding team, right? You know, get two first-round picks, two second-round picks, get all these players in exchange. But I think, honestly, and I don't even think it's really a debate at this point, the Seahawks fleeced the Broncos. I mean, all the Seattle Seahawks had to give up was was their, their, their star quarterback, who at the time was good, but as we've seen so far with the Broncos – has definitely not lived up to that huge $250 million, uh, you know, price tag that came along with them either. So, but anyway, outside of that, Geno Smith, who's having a career resurgence right now with the Seattle Seahawks, is playing at an MVP level. Kenneth Walker, the second-round pick running back out of Michigan State, he's playing fantastic as well. I mean, he's been putting up back-to-back 100-yard rushing games and has been looking absolutely fantastic for the Seahawks potentially their future at running back as well and then you obviously you got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett and just that star-studded wide receiver, you know, tandem. And I think the most underrated part of the Seattle Seahawks offense has got to be Noah Fant, you know, the tight end they got in the Russell Wilson trade who was a really good tight end in Denver despite having Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater for the most part as his quarterback when he was with the Broncos. So, you know, but um anyway, now to actually talking about how the game went, um Seattle, for the most part in this game, really could not get anything going in the first half as Tampa Bay completely shut them out, which I didn't think they would be able to do, let alone for the first half or even the first quarter. I expected Seattle to put up some type of points. Um, The biggest thing that really helped Tampa Bay get the win over the Seahawks in Germany was the fact they were able to stop the run. You know, Kenneth Walker, the second-round pick out of Michigan State, he only had 22 rushing yards on the day, or Oh, not that was Geno Smith. I was looking at Geno Smith's stats. Uh, Kenneth Walker, he only had 17 rushing yards on the day. I mean, just to kind of put it into perspective, the past I think three or four games, he's had 100-plus rushing yards in each of those games to add on top of that one or two touchdowns. So, I mean, just absolutely has been a monster. And the fact that Tampa Bay, their, their run game was able to stop it, it was absolutely monumental, you know, especially for them getting the win over a really good Seattle team. And, you know, for how the rest of the, uh, the Seahawks' offense actually went, Geno Smith, you know, really didn't play that bad. This was probably one of his more down games this year, as you'd go 23 for 33, 275 yards passing, two touchdowns, didn't throw any interceptions, so that was good. You know, definitely in the fourth quarter, things were starting to click as they had put up 13 points, but, you know, just they didn't have enough time. And, I mean, they waited too long. They had that whole first half that they just got completely shut down and, I mean, maybe it's, you know, time difference. Maybe it's just the fact that I think, you know, as much as I hate to say it, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are definitely starting to gain some momentum in terms of, you know, being able to get back to where they should be, right? You know, the same team that won a Super Bowl two years ago, you know, in Tampa Bay. Um, And then for Tom Brady, let's kind of talk a little bit about how they did. Tom Brady would go 22 for 29, 258 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. He also lined up at wide receiver in this game. He was actually on the outside, not the slot. He actually was 
it was actually was it was actually outside, and Leonard Fournette would actually line up as the quarterback in Wildcat, and Leonard Fournette would actually throw a pass to Tom Brady, which would get intercepted by Seattle Seahawks star rookie Tariq Woolen. So it's kind of funny seeing it. Tom Brady pretty much slipped on his own and kind of pretty much normal Tom Brady fashion you know we saw it in the Super Bowl against the Eagles how that went when he tried to catch the football and well now he didn't really have an opportunity because he just couldn't even stand on his own two feet but overall Tom Brady had a pretty good day against the uh, Seattle Seahawks and then rushing wise I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers might have found themselves another late round gem in the form of former Arizona State running back in mid-round pick Rashad White out of Arizona State now he started, to, he started to get a lot more carries for this team the past few weeks, especially with, when Leonard Fournette was banged up or just when they needed definitely some, definitely just some type of new energy because with Leonard Fournette, you're going to get more of a power back, right? He's not really a speedster or anything like that, but with Rashad White, he has a whole different level to your running back room. And in this game, he had his best career game so far, 22 carries for 105 yards rushing. And, you know, he didn't get a touchdown, but Leonard Fournette was also able to provide the power that Rashad White might or Rashad White might lack as Leonard Fournette would have 14 carries for 57 yards rushing and one touchdown as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers pull off the upset over in Berlin, or not Berlin, Germany, uh, Munich, Germany, my bad for all the, all the Germans out there. As uh, Tampa Bay would go on to win 21 to 16 over the over the striving Seattle Seahawks. Seattle, they're still a really good team. Their defense didn't even really play that bad at all. I mean, Tampa Bay, their offense, the talent, and everything they have should be putting up about 21, 28 points a game. So overall, not a bad game from Seattle defensively, but the offense they definitely got shut down majorly in this game by the Buccaneers defense. So the Seahawks they now drop to six and four, and the Buccaneers. They now f- improve, almost said fall, they now improve to 5-5 five and five and are finally back at 500. Now guys, that was the only international game that we did have, so now let's get over to our noon slate of games, and the first one we're going to talk about to kick it all off, one of the best games of the weekend, and even one of the best games that actually played through that we had in the weekend, as we had Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings going over to Buffalo, New York to take on the Buffalo Bills. Now, this game, the Bills were favored, and rightfully so. They're playing in Buffalo, one of the hardest atmospheres to play in. The weather was really cruddy. It was sleeting, snowing. I mean, you know, 30 degrees. Not ideal weather, you know, to be playing in a football game. Now, for Minnesota, you know, they play indoors, right? They don't have to endure the weather conditions in Minnesota, everything like that. So you also have to factor that as well. But for the Minnesota Vikings, they needed a statement win, right? You know, all these past few games with the Commanders going into the fourth quarter, they were down 17-7. to They had to come back. You know, whether it's with the Cardinals, they had to come back. Or no, they didn't have to come back against the Cardinals. But all these games, they have not actually won by a decent amount because, you know, since I did talk about the you know, Cardinals game, DeAndre Hopkins had a field day all over him, right? They were not able to contain him, really. Um, but the defense stepped up when they needed him the most. And, well, in this game... I mean, Minnesota got off to a horrid start. Kirk Cousins would throw two really bad interceptions that would put this team just horrendously down as at halftime they were down 24-10. to And being down by that much points against this Buffalo Bills team is pretty much almost a guaranteed loss. But in the second half, things would start clicking for the Vikings as they would put up 13 points in the third quarter. Kirk Cousins would finally get things going as he would finish on the day 30-50. for 50 for 357 yards passing with one touchdown and two interceptions on the day. His offensive line had a few struggles as he would get sacked four times, but overall there were a lot of mistakes he could have avoided in this game. But, man, did Justin Jefferson have himself a day. I mean, he might solely be the reason. Like, he kind of bailed out Kirk Cousins a ton in this game. And I mean a ton because the Bills should have had almost a third pick on Kirk Cousins if Justin Jefferson did not make one of the best catches I think I've ever seen but Justin Jefferson on the day who I think is probably the MVP of this game 10 receptions for 193 yards receiving and one touchdown and you know Dalvin Cook Dalvin Cook as well the star running back for the Minnesota Vikings 14 uh, rushing 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 attempts for 119 yards rushing and one touchdown TJ Hawkinson who they acquired from Detroit right before the trade deadline seven receptions for 45 yards receiving I mean, man, the Minnesota Vikings, their offense really didn't show up until the second half, but a lot of credit needs to be given to 
the uh, Minnesota Vikings defense for when they did show up in the second half because they only allowed six points the rest of the game after the first half, two field goals. So that was an absolutely amazing job by them. Josh Allen definitely struggled a decent a bit in this game. Now, he really shouldn't have even played in this game, right? Remember, he's dealing with that whole arm issue, elbow issue. So he really shouldn't have even played in this game. As on the day, Josh Allen, he would go 29 for 43, 330 yards passing, one touchdown and two interceptions. With two of those interceptions going to Patrick Peterson, the former Pro Bowl cornerback who I think went eight or nine straight years to the Pro Bowl when he was in Arizona. I mean, he's, I guess he's still got a little bit of juice left in the tank. I mean, he looked pretty good today against this uh, Buffalo Bills offense. Uh, Josh Allen would once again lead the team in rushing yards. He did the same thing last week against the Jets. He does it again despite being really banged up. Uh, kind of wish they didn't start him in this game. I know it's a game they really need to win, but at the same time, you don't want to hurt the longevity of having a guy like Josh Allen, who was obviously their franchise guy. Um, Josh Allen would have 84 yards rushing on the day. Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis would both have pretty good days. Stephon Diggs with 128 yards uh, receiving, and then Gabriel Davis with 93 yards receiving and one touchdown on the day. Now, the game would get really interesting pretty much with a minute left as Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, they would drive all the way down the field. Justin Jefferson would catch a, would catch a pass, but his knee would be down on the one-yard line. And you know, be fourth and goal, they fail to convert. So Josh Allen and the Vikings, they get the ball back. And, you know, you can't kneel the ball to run the clock out, right? The Vikings had no timeouts. I think they had maybe one timeout. Well, Josh Allen, when he gets the ball to hand it off to, I think, Devin Singletary, Fumbles the snap, and the Vikings recovered in the end zone to give them the lead. I mean, it, it just it seemed like at that point the game was over, but there were still 30 seconds left. The Bills, I think they had two timeouts. Josh Allen started zipping the ball all the way down the field and, um, you know, they kicked the, kicked the game-time field goal, went into overtime. Uh, the Vikings, they kicked the field goal, and then the – then the Bills, it was their turn to get the ball, and well, Josh Allen would throw one of those interceptions to Patrick Peterson. As the Minnesota Vikings, they get another come-from-behind win over the Buffalo Bills at Buffalo. As the Vikings, they beat the Bills 33-30. to As the Vikings, they now improve to 8-1 and on the year, and the Bills, they now drop their second straight game as they now fall to 6-3. and Once again, these are both going to be really good teams, teams that are going to make a deep playoff push. But the biggest question for the Bills is going forward, what are you going to do to prevent Josh Allen from further hurting his elbow and keeping him healthy? That is the biggest thing right now. That should be the biggest priority. No matter you lose two or three games, make sure you do not lose your franchise quarterback for the rest of the year. So, But anyway, great win for Kirk Cousins. Maybe we'll see another video of Kirk Cousins shirtless with all the jewelry on the jet. Maybe. I don't know. I think it might be Justin Jefferson this time due to the, just the sheer game that he had. Because, I mean, oh, my gosh, did he go off against the Buffalo Bills. Now, guys, we're going to stay up north as we have an NFC North matchup between the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field. And, well, this Chicago team was dominating Detroit through three quarters, right? Because after three quarters, Chicago, they were winning – uh, let me do the math real quick. 24 to 10. So going into the fourth quarter, the Bears had a 14-point lead. Pretty much was going to be wraps, right? Chicago, game one, Justin Fields had another historic game, especially running the football as he had 13 carries for 147 yards rushing and two touchdowns. I mean, it just it flabbergasts me because you watch his film in high school, you watch his film at Georgia, which he didn't have a lot of, but watch his film at Ohio State. I mean, his strength was not just only throwing the football, but getting out of the pocket, being able to run. And then also, too, these read options. I mean, man, play actions, for example. You know, give him opportunities to get into space and run the football, and he's going to capitalize every single dang time. And that's exactly what he did in this game against this really poor Detroit Lions defense, which is technically ranked almost dang near in every statistic the worst in the league. He also threw the football pretty well. I mean, outside of one interception, he'd go 12 for 20. Uh, 167 yards passing with two touchdowns and then that one interception I talked about. But his offensive line, they continue to struggle as he would have th as they would sack him three times, but there'd be a just a ton of quarterback pressures in this game. And well, you know, getting back to how the game went in the fourth quarter, this Detroit Lion team put up 21 points. 21. I mean, I 
I honestly thought that, you know, the Bears had this one in the bag. Like, I come, oh, okay, you know, I made a good prediction. You know, finally the Bears are going to come through and they're going to win the game. Well, that was just not the case whatsoever because the Chicago Bears, they just felt like, you're not the Chicago Bears, the Detroit Lions, they felt like just going off in the fourth quarter. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, who's finally back after dealing with a, a, a um, concussion issue, he would have 10 receptions on the day for 119 yards receiving. Absolutely is going to be a star for the Lions going forward. I just hope they properly use his talent or later down the road send him to a team where he'll absolutely benefit off of. Uh, Jared Goff would go 19 for 26, 236 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions, which is good for Jared Goff. I mean, the fact he didn't throw any interceptions, he was pretty dang accurate, only only missed seven passes, and also had a touchdown pass, was pretty good. As the Lions, they would come back in the fourth quarter to beat the Chicago Bears at home 31-30. to As the Lions, they get their second straight win as they improve to 3-6. and six. And the Bears, despite their quarterback having a historic day, they now fall to 3-7. and seven. And, I mean, if you're a Chicago Bear fan, at least you can feel good knowing you made the right choice with Justin Fields. You absolutely made the right choice. Now, I could have told you that myself because I still think the Jets screwed up not taking Justin Fields with that second overall pick. So, we'll see how this one goes out. I just hope his career is not wasted in Chicago. And, I mean, honestly, at the rate it's going, I think he might potentially, and it's and I hate to say it, might have his career wasted in Chicago. So, Anyway, guys, for our next noon game that we're going to talk about, we're going to travel down to uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I was trying to th- I was trying to think of the name for some reason, even though I knew it. As we had Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos taking on Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans, and Ryan Tannehill was actually back in this game. So I know when I talked about it in the preview, you know, act like Malik Willis was going to be in this game. Ryan Tannehill, he was fully good to go. He's going to be back in this game. And, you know, weirdly enough, they didn't rely on Derrick Henry as much in this game as they had the past few games, right? You know, we saw last week heavily relied on heavily relied on Derrick Henry running the football against the Chiefs and even the game before with the Texans in which he would go for 100-plus rushing yards in both of those games, had 200 against the Texans. And in this game against the Broncos, he would only have 53. You know, the Broncos, they don't have uh, Bradley Chubb anymore. Randy Gregory still injured. Baron Browning who's still kind of banged up a little bit. I think he played in this game. Let me look real quick. Let me do my let me do my little search. Uh, no, it appears he did not play in this game. So, you know, didn't have Baron Browning. You traded away Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins. Randy Gregory, I think, still on IR. You know, pass rush was not going to be crazy. But Ryan Tannehill, you know, despite when you look at his completion, completion percentage, it's not the best, right? 19 for 36. But he would have 255 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions, which is pretty darn effective for Ryan Tannehill, who has struggled this whole season with turnover issues. Uh, well, and they kind of and it was weird with the Tennessee Titans because their emerging wide receiver in this game, who, <laughs> you know, I thought Robert Woods was the one that went off in this game, Nick Westbrook, Eichhein. And now, if I mispronounce that, I am super sorry. But Nick, he would have himself his best career game and really emerged for the Tennessee Titans as a really reliable target in this game. Five receptions for 119 yards receiving and two touchdowns. Absolutely tore up that secondary of the Denver Broncos. And then for the Broncos, you know, we got to talk about Russell Wilson. You know, Mr. You know, let's ride, you know, or let's go Broncos country, let's ride, yada, yada, yada. Well, man, they were not riding in this game as Russell Wilson would go 21 for 42. 286 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. And the biggest stat line we got to talk about is the fact that his O-line could not block as he would get sacked six times in this game and would finish with a QBR of 22.3. Man, the Broncos, their offensive struggles continue and continue and continue. Melvin Gordon, he would lead them in rushing with only 24 rushing yards on the day on seven carries. Latavius Murray with nine carries. For 24 yards rushing as well, they had a total of 65 rushing yards on the day. I mean, you're not going to win games like that. And then to make matters worse, Cortland Sutton, who had six receptions for 66 yards receiving, the absolute evilest number you can possibly get in terms of stats, uh, just they could not get anything going. I mean, Jerry Judy was non-existent in this game, got targeted one time. Uh, Chase Edmonds, who got one reception in this game, didn't get any yards. Got you know they, he was acquired in the uh, Bradley Chubb trade. 
I mean, going forward as a Broncos fan, I know they had so much hype after that Jacksonville game, but watching this game, you've just got to be more deflated than an absolute deflated balloon. Like, there's just nothing to inflate you anymore. And then to make matters worse, Russell Wilson fumbled the ball three times in this game. You know, luckily enough, they recovered They recovered it twice. One would go out of bounds. I just, it, it was just one of those games where you're, like, left head-scratching. Like, I mean... What happened in this game? Like, seriously, because this is just, this is not Russell Wilson. I mean, if you remember watching him when he played for the Seahawks and then looking at him now on the Broncos, I mean, it's just two complete different players. And you, you know, I know it's a different coaching staff. It's a different environment. It's a different playbook, different offense, whatever. But this is not a guy that you give two first-round picks, two second-round picks. You also give up three quality players. Well, I'd say more like two quality players for just one player in a fourth-round pick. So, yeah, I know this trade's really biting Denver right now as they're going to lose to the Tennessee Titans. 17-10 as the Titans. They now improved to 6-3 and three after, dro- after dropping last week against the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. The Titans, man, watch out for that defense because that defense is absolutely amazing. That pass rush is no joke. Danico Autry, Jeffrey Simmons, and that whole D-line, they are absolute monsters. And even Rashad Weaver, who I personally liked when he was coming out of Virginia Tech, I mean, dude is a stud, so watch out for that Tennessee Titans defense because I feel like they're one of the most underrated uh, defenses in all of the NFL. Now, guys, for our next game that we're going to get over to, we're going to be going back into the... Well, no, we're actually... We're still in the AFC. My bad, guys. We're going to stay in the AFC, but we're going to go over to Arrowhead Stadium as we had the Jacksonville Jaguars, led by Trevor Lawrence, taking on Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, once again, we all knew how this game was probably going to go. It's being played at Arrowhead. Arrowhead is one of the worst places to play if you're an opposing team because it is so loud... The fan base is so electric. They're going to let you hear about everything you do wrong, and you're never going to you're never going to be able to have a silent moment in that stadium. And well, Patrick Mahomes would have another four touchdown performance in this game as he'd go 26 for 35, 331 yards passing with four touchdowns, like I mentioned, and one interception. Also, a ton of credit needs to be given to the O line of the Kansas City Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes would not even be sacked one time in this game. So. Great job, you know, Joe Thune, Orlando Brown, Creed Humphrey, who, I mean, at Oklahoma, you know, being a TCU fan, absolutely. I hated playing every year just because we could never get past Rush. I mean, you just can't get past that guy. So, absolutely amazing team, especially offense. Now, prayers are up to, you know, for Juju Smith-Schuster, who suffered a scary hit. I mean, absolutely scary hit, as he would literally get pretty much knocked unconscious. He went, he'd, he'd go into concussion protocol. Obviously has a concussion, so I hope everything is okay with him. But um, anyway, receiving-wise, Travis Kelsey would have another good game, six receptions for 81 yards receiving and one touchdown. MVS would have 60 receptions for one touchdown. Kadarius Toney in his second game as a Kansas City Chief looked really good, four receptions for 57 yards receiving and then one touchdown as well. So, I mean, hey, they get their version of Tyreek Hill. Now, he's not putting up the same statistics as, Ty- as Tyreek Hill, but having a speedster like that, adding it to this offense that already includes Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, that amazing O-line. You also got a really good running back room. I mean, this offense is scary and definitely somebody you do not want to play in the AFC, for that matter of fact. Um, and then when we look over at the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence um, really didn't play horrendously bad. You know, 29 for 40, 259 yards passing. Two touchdowns and zero interceptions. But once again, the Jaguars' O-line just continues to struggle as Trevor Lawrence would be sacked five times in this game, which is something you do not want to let up. But that pass rush of the Kansas City Chiefs is really good. Carlos Dunlap was an amazing free agency pickup. You have Frank Clark. You got Chris Jones. Uh, I mean, that. I mean, I mean, really, I don't know what to say with Kansas City because in and out of every year, you know, they make all these underrated signings like Carlos Dunlap. I feel like that signing didn't get talked enough about because when he got traded from Cincinnati to Seattle, I still thought that he was the same guy, you know, that the Seahawks traded for. So, anyway, in this game, uh, you know, the biggest thing with Kansas City, too, was the fact that they were able to stop, um, you know, the Jaguars' main man right now on offense, and that was uh, Travis Etienne Jr. He only had 
40 yards rushing on the day, which if you're going to be able to stop this Jaguars offense, it's going to be first with stopping Travis Etienne, and that's exactly what they did. As a, as a Kansas City Chiefs, they still remain strong at home as they go on to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 27-17 to as the Chiefs. They now improve to 7-2 on the year, and the Jaguars, they now fall to 3-7 and on the year, and likely are going to be trying to look for a top five pick in this upcoming year's draft, so... Anyway, guys, we're still going to be in the AFC. We had a lot of AFC games here in our noon slate. But we're going to be going down to Miami as we had the Cleveland Browns taking on the Miami Dolphins. And first and foremost, Tua Tagovailoa is the real deal. Now, I apologize for any slander I have ever made about Tua because I know I've said certain things, you know, kind of questioning him, especially last year. Tua is the real deal. They gave him the pieces he needed, you know, going and getting Tyreek Hill from Kansas City. Drafting Jalen Waldo, who was his teammate at Alabama, you know, they're making all of the right decisions. And it's benefiting like crazy. Mike McDaniel is absolutely flourishing as a head coach. His play calling has been really good. I know a lot of people question it early on, but I think it really fits Tua as Tua in this game would go 25 for 32, 285 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. And then Jeff Wilson Jr., you know, the former San Francisco 49er running back who got traded to Miami right before the trade deadline. I mean, just balled out in this game. And this was his second game with the Dolphins. Not his first, but his second game with the Dolphins. He would have 17 carries for 119 yards receiving and one touch, or not receiving, rushing and one touchdown on the day as well. So it's looking like a sneaky good pickup for the Miami Dolphins who already have a star-studded cast on offense. And in terms of how Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Mike, Mike Jacecki, and all of them did, you know, statistically, they didn't do anything crazy. I mean, Jalen Waddle led the team with 66 yards receiving. Tyreek Hill only had 44 with one touchdown. Uh, Mike Gusecki only had 31 yards on the day. But what you have is, you know, you're able to have, get such a great rushing performance out of Jeff Wilson. You know, you, you really don't need to stack as much uh, receiving yards as possible. I mean, they still had 302 total receiving yards on the day. Three total uh, uh, throwing touchdowns. I don't know why I can't talk. Sometimes my mind just goes like completely blank. But anyway, I mean, the Miami Dolphins offensively, they dominated. And their defense was equally as good as on the day. They had three sacks on the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Jacoby Brissett didn't have a horrifyingly bad game. Not a great game. As he'd go 22 for 35, 212 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. Like I just mentioned, he would get sacked three times in this game. And then the biggest thing for the Miami Dolphins in their pass rush, how would they stop Nick Chubb, right? You went out and got Bradley Chubb. You got that star rush, star edge rusher you needed. And, well, unfortunately, despite losing Emmanuel Ogba, you know, they would stop the run pretty dang well. Now, Cleveland total on the day, they would have 112 rushing yards, but they would allow Nick Chubb to only have 63 on the day with one touchdown. And, I mean... Outside of that, you know, their offensive production really was nothing crazy. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, he would have 100 receiving yards on the day, and Amari Cooper would follow right behind with 32. And that would be really it for uh, for uh, Cleveland offensively as Miami. They would go on to beat the Cleveland Browns 39-17 to as the Dolphins. They continue to just dominate on offense as they improve to 7-3. and And right now, I think they're I think that, yeah, they're – they one game behind the Bills. I, I literally just said the records of them, but you know, right now the Dolphins and Bills are neck and neck in the AFC East. And then for the Browns, they now fall to three and six. And it, well, obviously you can tell they're really waiting for a certain quarterback to come back that they paid a hefty amount of change to get, and then also a hefty amount of money to secure him. So. <laughs> anyway, guys, the next afternoon game that I do want to talk about, we're going to go over to East Rutherford as we had the Houston Texans taking on the New York Giants. Now, score-wise, this was a lot closer than I thought it would be. I mean, 100% a lot closer than I thought it would be. But the New York Giants offense was pretty darn good in this game. Uh, Daniel Jones, you know, didn't throw a lot in this game because we'll talk a little bit. Mm, excuse me. We'll talk a little bit why here in a second. Daniel Jones on the day would go 13 for 17, 197 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. It's good to see Daniel Jones finally get things going with his arm because it's always kind of been the biggest knock on him is, is could he consistently make the right reads, consistently make those throws. And in this game, he definitely showed that. I mean, despite getting sacked three times, he looked pretty darn good. And, well, the star of the game easily had to have been Saquon Barkley, who's having a re-emerging year. You know, finally, after dealing with injuries these past three seasons, he, knock on wood, he's finally healthy. 
And, I mean, man, is he balling out. 35 carries on the day for 152 yards rushing and one touchdown to add on top of that. Darius Slayton would get things going in the receiving game with 95 yards receiving and one touchdown. And then on the flip side for the Texans, you know, I can't, I mean, despite them not winning this game, they really were not bad. I mean, honestly, they were not horrifyingly bad. Could have been better. You know, the O-line allowed four sacks on the day on Davis Mills. Davis Mills would go 22 for 37, 319 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception, which isn't bad considering Davis Mills has really been a turnover machine these past few weeks. Um, Damian Pierce, once again, the rookie running back out of Florida who, as you all all know, I'm super high on. He had another great game, 17 carries for 94 yards rushing. Didn't get a touchdown, so fantasy owners, I know you might be a little ticked off about that. But the Houston Texans, they would keep it pretty close. But overall, the Giants, they would sneak one out against the Texans as the Giants would go on to win 24-16. So once again, the Giants, they improved to 7-2 on the year. And the Texans, they now fall to 1-7-1 on the year. You read that correctly. They do have that one tie in case y'all forgot. So if you don't know... Now you know. So, <laughs> But anyway, guys, for our final game that we had on our noon slate, we're going to go over to uh, almost at Heinz Field. Unfortunately, it's not Heinz Field anymore. It's Acrisure Stadium over in Pittsburgh as we had the New Orleans Saints taking on Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I didn't watch a lot of this game, so I don't really want to make any judgments or anything like that. But Kenny Pickett, you know, finally really did not make a lot of those rookie mistakes that we saw. You know, he's been throwing interceptions like crazy. We saw it against Miami. We saw it in his first ever game. Who was it? Who were they playing that that week he, he came in? The Jets. That first week he played against the Jets. You know, his first start on Sunday night football against the, uh, the Dolphins. You know, he really looked good in this game. As you go 18 for 30, 199 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. And still the biggest concern I think that the Steelers need to address, especially in the draft or in free agency, is upgrading their offensive line. I mean, I know you I know it kind of sounds like I'm complaining about every team's offensive line, but it's kind of the case right now. I mean, especially having a rookie quarterback starting for you, you need to be able to help him have time in the pocket. And right now, he just doesn't have any time. Um, Najee Harris, who has not gotten off to a great start so, start so far into this 2022 campaign, he would have a pretty good game. 20 carries for 99 yards rushing and zero touchdowns. I'm going to bump him up a little bit. I'm going to give him that 100-yard rushing game just because you mean you got to round it up. I mean, you don't like you don't I hate having odd numbers, so kind of a pet peeve of mine, but uh Kenny Pickett also ran the ball pretty darn well too in a game which I think is one of his more underrated attributes that he can give you as a quarterback as he'd have eight carries for 51 yards rushing and one touchdown on the day. And then receiving-wise, Deontay Johnson and Jalen Warren would lead the team with 63 yards receiving and 40 yards receiving. So nothing too crazy offensively. And then for the Saints, uh, Andy Dalton once again struggled with turnovers. Uh, 17 for 27, 174 yards uh, passing with one touchdown and then two interceptions on the day. And the biggest killer for the Saints is if you don't get Alva, Alvin Kamara going, Nine times out of ten, you will likely not win a game. And that's really what happened. Alvin Kamara only had 26 rushing yards on the day. And it doesn't help either when you really don't get anything going in the past game either. Chris Olave, their talented first-rounder, only had 40 yards receiving on the game. Jarvis Landry in his first game back from a hamstring injury only had 37. So they really could not get anything going. And you could tell in this game because... All of New Orleans points came in the second quarter, and they got shut out in the other three as the Steelers get a huge home win and finally get their third win of the season as they beat the Saints 20-10 as the Steelers. They now improve to 3-6, and six, and the Saints, they now fall to 3-7 and seven on the year. So, Saints fans, oh, man, I feel for you. I really do feel for you because the injury bug just seems to never want to leave you guys alone. And now, guys, that'll wrap up our noon slate of games telling you a ton of action and it even got better in our midday of games as two of the three were just outright just incredible games so anyway the first game I do want to talk about is going to be over in Las Vegas as we had a matchup between two struggling AFC teams between the Indianapolis Colts and the Las Vegas Raiders now for the Colts you know, he fired Frank Wright this week. He replaced him with former Pro Bowl center Jeff Saturday. A lot of controversy behind that. I know I was personally skeptical. Not not because of him as a person or player or anything like that, because he just never has had any real coaching experience. You know, not at the college level, not at the NFL level, but he did make a lot of good points. You know, he's been in systems. You know, he's played in the NFL. Now, I know it's a whole different ball game between being a player and being a coach. 
but you know seeing how coaches they operate on a daily basis and seeing everything like that it helps a ton and well in this game you know the team looked a lot more energized um uh, you know Sam Ellinger who was supposed to play in this game they decided to go with Matt Ryan now I don't know the exact reason but last time I checked Frank Wright was all very very you know we're not going to play Matt Ryan and well Matt Ryan in his first game back Looked pretty darn good. 21 for 28, 222 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. So maybe Matt Ryan wasn't the full problem. I know he wasn't the best, but hey, I'm, I'm just saying. But anyway, and then also, too, the Colts, they got Jonathan Taylor back in this game. And, man, did he look like his 2021 self as he would have 22 carries on the day for 147 yards rushing and one touchdown truly living up to that Jonathan Taylor form that we got so used to seeing last year and I know personally Colt fans were probably super excited to see him playing really good again um and then on the flip side for the Raiders 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 I mean oh you have all of this talent and you still could not win a dang game Derek Carr on the day didn't play horrendous not great but did not play horrendous 24 for 38 248 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. Josh Jacobs, they finally decided to give it, started giving him the ball more. It kind of didn't really make sense to me because Josh Jacobs had this stretch where he was absolutely going off running the football, and they just said, you know what, screw it. We're not going to give you the ball no more. Finally give him the ball, and it keeps you in games a lot longer. And, you know, for Devontae Adams, had a huge game last week against the Jaguars, over 140 yards receiving and two touchdowns. Has another big game against the Colts, 126 yards receiving and one touchdown. But the Raiders, they choke once again. And really this time it wasn't a major choke because the Colts going into the fourth quarter, they led 19-14. to But at the same time, the Raiders, they technically should have won this game. The Raiders have no excuse to be losing this bad right now. I think Josh McDaniel was a horrible hire, and I can tell you that from the beginning because Max Crosby played really good in this game. He got a sack and had 10 tackles on the day and led the team in total tackles, mind you. Um, you know, I know Chandler Jones really has not played up to the hype that they're expecting him to play up to, especially the contract they gave him and everything like that, but I would be I would be lying to you if I said this team just does not look defeated under Josh McDaniels as their head coach. I mean, you saw what he did in Denver. He's a great offensive coordinator. But he is not meant to be a head coach, and I hope teams do not make the same mistake once again. So I think it's a matter of time before we see Josh McDaniels potentially being gone as the Raiders head coach because I don't know how much longer Raider Nation is really going to accept this because, or even Devontae Adams in this offense because, once again, Devontae Adams has played pretty good so far this year. You know, when he's actually been getting the ball, he has played pretty good. So can't blame, can't blame Devontae Adams what, whatsoever. Derek Carr struggled a lot as well. As much as I know they want that connection to work, you know, the Fresno State connection, I just I don't think Derek Carr's the guy for the Raiders. I really don't. And, I mean, it's going to continue to show when they lose all of these close games. So, anyway, the Colts, they get a huge win in Jeff Saturday's debut as interim head coach as they beat the Raiders 25-20 to as the Colts. They improved to 4-5-1. and And the Raiders, they now fall to 2-7 and and are now sitting at the bottom of the AFC West. Oh, I remember when everybody had them being favorites in the AFC West over the Chiefs, over the Chargers, heck, even over the Broncos. The Broncos are over them right now, and that offense is way worse. I mean, that just kind of you know puts a little bit into perspective about how bad this Raiders team truly is. So anyway, guys, our next game we're going to talk about, we're going to still be over on the West Coast, but now we're going to be over in the NFC as we had a as we had an NFC West showdown between the Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams at SoFi Stadium. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, you know, after watching that Hard Knocks you know, documentary, if y'all haven't watched it, definitely should check it out. It's really good. You know, there's a lot, and I mean, they, they really needed, they really wanted to win. You could tell just, I mean, how tense the locker room is. I mean, simply, they just... There's just something that needs to change, and you know, in this game, Kyler Murray would not play, so they would go with the back. They would go with the backup, Colt McCoy, who had a pretty solid game: 26 for 37, 238 yards passing, with one touchdown and zero interceptions. I say he looked pretty darn good. I mean, not bad whatsoever. Uh, receiving wise, DeAndre Hopkins would have pretty much another 100-yard receiving game again: 10 receptions for 98 yards receiving. I mean, D Hop is arguably the best wide receiver in all the league. I know. It's pretty much neck and neck with him and Devontae. 
I would say it's kind of right now Devontae 1A, DeAndre 1B. But, I mean, we all have our own opinions. Y'all tell me how y'all think. But at least for me, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, and then also, too, the Cardinals defense, they stepped up a lot in this game. You know, forcing three sacks. They looked a lot better. I mean, not allowing as many points as they definitely have allowed a lot often. You know, they had three fumble recoveries in this game, which was huge. So, and then for the Rams, you know, didn't have Matthew Stafford who's dealing with a concussion issue. So, John, John Wolford would come into the game as quarterback, the backup quarterback. And, you know... Not his best game ever, but it doesn't help when your offensive line is absolutely horrendous as he'd go 24 for 36, 212 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception as well. So can't really – I don't want to put a lot of blame on him because that offensive line just simply cannot hold a block for what feels like longer than two seconds maybe. And the run game for the Rams, which has always been sneaky good for them, continued to struggle in this game as Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson would only have – 43 yards of rushing combined as the Rams would only be able to put up 66 yards rushing total on the day. Allen Robinson, their big-time free agent acquisition, would only have 44 rush, uh, receiving yards on the day. And what's even weirder is Cooper Cup, who has been pretty much having consistent 75-plus receiving yard games almost every game of the season, would have three receptions for negative one yards receiving in this game. I mean, something is going on with the Rams that we do not know about because this team just won a Super Bowl back in February. I mean, we're not in 2023 yet. We're still in the same year the Rams won the Super Bowl, and they're currently sitting at 3-6 and six right now. I mean, it, this just makes – it blows my mind about, you know, same pieces, same everything, pretty much same coaching staff, but losing a guy like Kevin O'Connell to the Minnesota Vikings – I mean, that must, that has killed this offense from what was one of the top offenses in the league last year to now one of the absolute worst in the NFC. So the Rams, they have just got a ton of things they've got to fix. As the Cardinals, they would go on to beat the Rams 27-17. to As the Cardinals, they get a much-needed division win as they improve to 4-6 and six before they face off against San Francisco next week. And then the Rams, they now fall to 3-6. and six And they're just left scratching their heads, you know, what do we do from this moment on? Because obviously, you're not going to make the playoffs this year. You're not going to be a playoff contending team. So if I'm if I'm the Rams, you know, can't look at picks because, once again, you've traded them where it's kind of that whole logic of, you know, we'll trade away all our picks, you know, get all these big-time players. We'll contend every year. Kind of, you know what I'm saying, kind of at a crossroads now because, I mean, what do you do now? I mean, there's, there's nothing you can really do because you don't have those high-round picks anymore. So... Anyway, guys, now for our final game that we did have in our uh, late game slate, we had the Dallas Cowboys going up to Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers, who were currently, I think, on a, was it a five-game lose streak? Let me see real quick. Sorry, guys. They were on, yeah, they were on a five-game losing streak. So, I, I, in my preview, I already said the Cowboys 100% should win this game. And when you watch this game, the Cowboys should have 100% won this game. As going into the fourth quarter, they had a 28-14 lead. You know, Dak Prescott, who struggled hev heavily early on through two interceptions, but was starting to get into a rhythm as on the day he would finish 27 for 46, 265 yards passing with three touchdowns, and then those two interceptions I talked about early on in the game. Um, Aaron Rodgers, who... Once again, or not once again, Aaron Rodgers, who didn't have to throw the football that much because, well, play calling finally decided, look, our running backs are really good. A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones are both really good running backs. Why don't we use them? And look what happens in this game as Aaron Rodgers on the day would go 14 for 20, 224 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. So, I mean, A-Rod looked good in this game. I'll give him that. He looked really good. And then, once again, back to the whole running back discussion, Aaron Jones, the other Aaron, he looked phenomenal in this game, very similar to how he looked against the Bills. 24 carries for 138 yards uh, rushing and one touchdown. A.J. Dillon would have 65 of his own as well. So, I mean, hey, see what happens when you run the football. Good things happen. And then to make matters worse, you know, you, or not make matters worse. Well, yeah, make matters worse for the Cowboys' defense. The fact that they were able to run the ball so well, it opens up a lot of holes on defense for you to be able to get the passing game going. And Christian Watson, your second-round pick out of North Dakota State, who struggled all year with drops, not being able to make you know the catch and everything like that, he balled out in this game, had his best career game as a pro, four receptions for 107 yards receiving, 
and three touchdowns on the day. Huge game for Christian. I mean, I'm so happy for him because I hated seeing him struggle so early on. You know, the Minnesota game had that wide open touchdown. I mean, wide open touchdown. He dropped it. Um, I mean, he had a few drops in this game as well, but definitely made up for it with those huge. I mean, three of his catches were touchdowns. There's only one catch he had in this game that was not a touchdown. Just just to put into perspective about how good of a game he did have. Um, you know, the offense was really good, but their defense deserves a ton of credit. You know, they held the Cowboys for the most part in this game. Oh, excuse me. They held them, you know, for the most part in this game. I mean, honestly, the fourth, first, you know, besides the second and third, they held them pretty good. And even overtime, I mean, they were absolutely solid. You know, did not allow pretty much the Cowboys to get anything going, especially in the run game. Now, Tony Pollard. Uh, he would have a pretty solid day. You know, obviously the second and third quarter helped a ton as Tony on the day would have 22 carries for 115 yards rushing and one touchdown, which I personally think he needs to be the lead back for the Cowboys going forward. But you still want to have Ezekiel Elliott for those short yarded situations and simply for the fact that he brings that, he also brings power, but he also does bring a little bit of elusiveness as well. CeeDee Lamb had an amazing game, 11 receptions for 150 yards receiving and two touchdowns. I mean, those guys really couldn't do anything more. Uh, the offensive line started struggling really bad at the end of the game. Just penalty after penalty after penalty, which set him back even more. Dak taking sacks or Dak just not being able to make the correct throws or underthrowing his wide receivers was a huge problem in this game. And, well, they go into overtime. The Cowboys get the ball first. Nothing comes out of it. They fail on fourth down. And the Packers, they drive all the way down the field. And Mason Crosby kicks the game-winning field goal as the Packers get a huge upset win over the Dallas Cowboys up in Lambeau. 31 to 28 as the Packers. They now improved to four and one, and they snapped their five-game losing streak. So Packer fans, let me know how you're feeling because I can only imagine right now. It probably feels like Christmas morning. And then for Cowboy fans, myself included, not really a good feeling knowing that this was a game that we should have won. We should have absolutely won. You know, when you have a 28 to 14 lead, you have no reason to lose that game. Now, I don't want to put a lot of blame on the defense because there's only a certain amount that they can do, but the offense had a lot of opportunities, and they simply did not capitalize on it. Similar to what my TCU Horn Frogs did this weekend against Texas because we should have blown out the Longhorns, but unfortunately, offense couldn't get things going, and, well, this is one of those games where the offense needed to pick up the defense's slack, and they just did not do that for the Cowboys. So, anyway, the Packers, they get a huge upset win over the Dallas Cowboys to wrap up our late slate of games. So, guys, I mean, we had, I mean, we had an exciting late slate of games. That Colts game, the Colt and Raider game, that was absolutely amazing. And then, obviously, a rivalry renewed in the Packers and Cowboys game. I know that felt good for Packer fans getting that win because of the whole Dez situation back in, God, when was that, 2015, 16? I think it was some, sometime around there. I mean, that had to have felt really good, though, if you were a Packers fan. So, Anyway, guys, our final game that we did have on Sunday, on Sunday night football, we're going to go down to San Francisco as we had Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers taking on Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers. And, well, for Justin Herbert and especially the Los Angeles Chargers offense, could they finally get things going? You know, despite not having Keenan Allen, despite not having all of your lead wide receivers, you know, you don't have Mike Williams, you don't have Keenan Allen, you know, that's a lot of production gone. I mean, losing a guy like Keenan Allen's already bad enough, but then losing on top of that your second best wide receiver, it's just horrifically bad. And then, you know, also Austin Eckler, he would have to step up a ton in this game. And then on the flip side for the San Francisco 49ers, you know, gotta get Christian McCaffrey going early, right? Kind of similar to what you did against the Rams before you're by. Gotta get Christian McCaffrey going early. So anyway, guys, so let's actually talk about how the game went. Um you know, for the Chargers, you know, the offense just continued to struggle in this game, and I really don't want to put a lot of blame on Justin Herbert because, once again, he's missing a lot of his offensive line. He doesn't have Keenan Allen. He doesn't have Mike Williams. So not having those guys is already a huge loss, mind you. Then Austin Eckler in this game, who I said, you know, they really need to get him going. He only had 24 rushing yards on the day, which is something you definitely do not want out of your, you know, top running back. Um, Justin Herbert on the day would go 21 for 35, 196 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. So not his best game whatsoever as he would literally, as his final pass of the game would be the game-ending interception to San Francisco. So not exactly what you want, but, 
you know, for the Los Angeles Chargers, their defense, despite having all those injuries stepped up, Khalil Mack had himself a pretty good game as he would have a sack on the night as well. Kenneth Murray showed a lot of really good, I mean, a lot of really good instinct, the former Oklahoma linebacker, as you'd have two tackle for losses on the night. But unfortunately, that offense just could not replicate any of those great defensive possessions into points. And, you know, for the San Francisco 49ers, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was nothing special in this game. 19 for, 20, 19 for 28, 240 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. But for the 49ers, the biggest thing was they got their former starting running back, Elijah Mitchell, back after he was dealing with an injury and was out. I think the past four games when he was on IR. And his first game back, he did really good. 18 carries for 89 yards rushing and zero touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey, despite not having as many yards as I know fantasy owners might have wanted him to have, he still would have 14 carries on the day for 38 yards rushing and one TD. Uh, Brandon Ayuk would lead the 49ers in receiving with six receptions for 84 yards receiving as well. And the 49ers defense, I mean, they just were absolutely dominant in this game. I mean, had three sacks on the day, four tackles for loss played really solid football I mean this I mean don't get me wrong this was not a amazing game by any means I mean the, the Chargers they would get shut out in the second half so the 49ers would be the only ones to score points in the second half but the Chargers they get a huge win on Sunday night football over their uh, California brethren as the as the San Francisco 49ers are going to beat the Chargers on Sunday night football to wrap up all of Sunday's games 22 to 16 as the 49ers they now are above 500 at 5 and 4 and for the Chargers they now sit at 5 and 4 as well after this loss so biggest thing for the Chargers is how banged up they are that always kind of seem to be that always kind of just seems to be the like the curse of the Chargers it's just they cannot ever stay healthy I mean already lost JC Jackson you got Joey Bosa out you got Mike Williams out got Keenan Allen out you know your offensive line just can never consistently stay healthy so I mean, I really feel bad, you know, because especially Charger fans, because, man, you have all of the pieces, but they just can never play together because it always seems like one of them will be out with an injury. So, but anyway, guys, enough talking about that. Let's get over to Monday's game, our final game of week 10 of the 2022 NFL season, as we had the Washington Commanders led by their new starting quarterback, Taylor Heineke, and coming off a pretty disappointing loss to the Vikings last week, in which they went into the fourth quarter up 10 points with a 17 to 7 lead as they would go on to take Jalen Hurts and the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles whose offense is quite literally soaring and punted very much intended because man <clears throat> they have been absolutely balling out this year and you know I think another thing that doesn't get talked about enough is how good their defense has been you know the pass the not pass rush the run defense definitely got a little bit tested against Houston last week on Thursday night football with Damian Pierce but going into this game I know they have a lot they wanted to prove you know you went out and got Robert Quinn you already have Fletcher Cox Brandon Graham Javon Hargrave and then the secondary you got Darius Slay James Bradbury Avante Avante Maddox I mean this team literally has every single piece you would need to make a Super Bowl push so anyway now that now to the game and how that actually went I mean, this game was pretty much just surrounded in pure controversy. You know, you can blame it on the refs. You can blame it on the Eagles offense not being able to stay on the field for more than 20 minutes in this game, which we'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. But, man, were there just some blatantly bad calls in this game by the officials. Dallas Goddard literally had a clear face mask penalty on him, which would have prevented a turnover which would have been Philly's third turnover of the day which wouldn't have even happened at all if the refs would have called the right call on the play but instead Davis would get the fumble recovery for the commanders the commanders would get a field goal out of that and well just the Eagles just continued I mean continued to struggle as Quez Watkins would get a long reception I mean a long reception Jalen Hurts with a perfect ball and Quez Watkins although he would go down he would try to get back up get some extra yardage but unfortunately, he would he would end up coughing the football up, and uh, Washington would get it right back. And I mean, man, just the fourth quarter, all the all the momentum pretty much went to Washington. As you could tell, this this Eagles team they just were deflated. Whether it was by referees, whether it was by just play, you know, the defense who was on the field. And let me look at the stat real, stat real quick because, like I talked about, time of possession was huge in this game. I mean, Washington made sure to not give this Philadelphia Eagles team a ton of chances to be able to stay on the field. And, you know, a ton of credit needs to be given to that uh, the pass rush and even run defense of the Washington Commanders with guys like Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, 
uh, Jamin Davis. That whole defense of the Washington Commanders played fantastic tonight. As now that I have the stat pulled up for time of possession, the Washington Commanders had the football for 40 minutes in this game. They had the football for three out of the four quarters fully. Just to, or well, my bad, sorry. Actually, two and almost three quarters. Not 45 minutes, but pretty much dang near had the football on offense for three whole quarters. That is absurd. And then for the Philadelphia Eagles, they only had the football for 19 minutes in this game. Uh, and to make matters even worse, they were not able to run the football that well either. And they weren't even able to really throw the football that well either as well. I mean, the whole offense just looked really bad in this game. The offensive line struggled immensely. Now, I know when you look at statistically-wise, Jalen Hurts, he was only sacked one time in this game, which was from Montez Sweat. But if you watch this game, Washington's pass rush was just undeniably insane in this game as they continued play after play after play, would get to the quarterback, force Jalen Hurts out of the pocket, and he just would not be able to make the correct throw that he would want. As on the day, Jalen Hurts would go 17 for 26, 174 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception on the day. And then for rushing-wise, like I mentioned, the Philadelphia Eagles, they were held to under 94 rushing yards on the day, only had one rushing touchdown as Miles Sanders would lead them with 54 rushing yards on the day. And receiving-wise, a ton of credit needs to be given to the secondary of Washington, which is still very young. You know, they traded William Jackson to the Pittsburgh Steelers, so in comes second-year cornerback Benjamin St. Just out of Minnesota, and he looked pretty good. Mm. He looked pretty good in this game for the Commanders as he was able to hold down Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins, and those guys. As Quez, as Quez Watkins, who would you know ultimately be one of the reasons why the uh, the Eagles would lose this game. He would go. He would have four receptions for 80 yards receiving on the day. Didn't get a touchdown. Could have had a touchdown, but as we all know, had that late fumble. Devontae Smith would have six receptions for 38 yards receiving and one touchdown on the day. As this was just a really rough game for the Philadelphia Eagles offense. There were a lot of bad calls. You know, we. I mean, a lot of the blame can definitely be on the refs. You know, it's hard to really put it in terms if you did not watch this game because there were just certain calls that really should not have been I mean and, and also there were a lot of calls on Washington too like the pick play by Jahan Dotson that they called pass interference on which wasn't even a pick I mean it they, the refs were just very wonky in this game and Eagles I think unfortunately they just got the really bad you know end of the stick when it came to getting calls but on the flip side we need to talk about the Washington Commanders who finally took down the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles as Taylor Heineke, who needs to be the quarterback going forward for this Washington Commanders team. I know Carson Wentz, he's coming back here pretty soon, but Taylor Heineke deserves to be the starting quarterback. He led them in that AFC, or not the AFC, he led them in that NFC wildcard game against the Buccaneers in that COVID season. They didn't win, but they looked really good against the team that would ultimately win that Super Bowl that year. So, I just think ultimately Taylor Heineke deserves to be the starting quarterback. He's proven it. I mean, obviously last week was rough going into the fourth quarter against the Vikings 17-7 and losing that game. But what a comeback win for the Washington Commanders is Taylor Heineke would go 17 for 29, 211 yards passing with one touch or not didn't get a touchdown, sorry. Zero touchdowns and one interception. But, man, did he look really good. I mean, he made a lot, and I mean a lot, of game-changing throws. And, you know, a lot of credit needs to be given to the run game of the Washington Commanders as Brian Robinson Jr., the rookie out of Alabama. And as you all know, he has an incredible story. You know, he's part of a carjacking situation a few months back, got shot in the leg numerous times, and then was able to return to the playing field two months after that that whole incident went down I mean just an incredible story that he was even able to survive let alone be able to play football again at the highest level and in this game Brian Robinson when they needed him the most he definitely showed up as on the day he would have 26 carries for 86 yards rushing and one touchdown Antonio Gibson who looked like he potentially would have gotten injured and taken out of the game he came right back in and Looked really good. 14 carries for 44 yards rushing and one touchdown. And Terry Scary McLaurin. I mean, man, he just looked phenomenal. Eight receptions for 128 yards receiving on the day. Curtis Samuel, who didn't, who does not have the most eye-popping statistics, two receptions for 23 yards receiving on the day. But the catches that he did make in this game were very crucial and why Washington was able to get the huge upset win over the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football as the Washington Commanders would go on to beat the Philadelphia Eagles 
32 to 21 as Washington. They now they now get back to 500 as they improve to five and five. And the Eagles they get handed their first loss as they now fall to eight and one at the hands of their NFC East rival. And you know the game the way it finished just was truly just kind of pictured the whole picture of how this game went for the Eagles as Devontae Smith would try to lateral the ball back and ultimately the ball would go right into the end zone where the Washington defender would be waiting to pick it up which is why the score looks so lopsided I mean man this was just <laughs> if you were a Philly fan this absolutely hurt to watch especially when I mean honestly Philly they should have won this game I predicted them to win this game I thought obviously the offense would just overpower the defense. I knew that they were going to have a tough time running the football, but I thought throwing the football, they would do a little bit better. I mean, Washington, they're very young in the secondary. Like I mentioned, Benjamin St. Juiced. They also got Cameron Curl, uh, Derek, Derek Forrest, who looked really good in this game, had a pick as well. I mean, overall, Washington has a ton of pieces that they can build on on defense, whether it's on the D-line, on the edges, or in the secondary. I think Washington, you know, definitely under Taylor Heineke, it's a whole different team and definitely a team to continue to monitor throughout the year. So anyway, guys, that'll wrap up all of our action from week 10 of the 2022 NFL season. So let me know what y'all's favorite game was personally. Mine definitely had to be the Monday night football game because being a Cowboys fan, it was de it definitely pained me to watch them choke against the Green Bay Packers up at Lambeau considering I thought they would have easily won that game. But definitely Monday Night Football, that was just, it was one of those games where it's so poorly played that it becomes so fun to watch. Like, I was already, me and my grandma, we were both about to fall asleep watching this game. And then we came back and were wide awake towards the end as it just, you know, call after call after call were blown by the refs. But anyway, guys, thank y'all so much for listening to today's recap episode of Week 10. Also, make sure to to check out all of our preview episodes that we have coming out tomorrow at 12 p.m. Central Time. We have the NFL Week 11 preview episode going live, and then at 6 p.m. Central Time, we have the College Football Week 12 preview going live as well. So, guys, thank you so much once again. I truly appreciate all the love that you have shown, whether it is here on the podcast, Instagram, TikTok, wherever. Thank you, guys. And once again, I will see you all here tomorrow as we will preview all of our upcoming action for NFL and college football in their respective weeks. So I'll see you guys then and have an amazing rest of y'all's day.